We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Steven, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are available on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We do appreciate any ratings or reviews and all subscribers to our YouTube channel. That being said, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is our sponsor, who has been great for us. They've been an amazing partner to work with, and they have some great products to make sure that you are feeling your best for the upcoming summer months. If you're feeling a little frisky downstairs, they have the Lawnmower 2.0. They also have anti-chafing boxer briefs, which are a personal favorite of mine, as well as ball deodorant and some amazing smelling cologne. If you use the code GUILTY at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping your purchase. Again, that's the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Hello, good evening. Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. We are doing a live show, live pod, if you will, on our YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to be doing this uh, for most of the games this upcoming season. There will be some, uh, you know, with a time difference in our group that we will have to wait a day or two. But, you know, for the most part, we are really excited to do uh, these live reaction pods. Obviously, we wish we, we could have done it yesterday. Uh, but we're following the example, we're kind of working on our preparation for the season working on smoothing out our operation for this season. Uh, so we decided to do it today. So uh, we've got Alex here today in a different country. He made it safe <laughs> in the town. Uh, <laughs> Alex, uh, how are you doing today, man? And, and how was that flight to uh, flight to your new home? Yeah, uh, it was pretty good other than the fact that I lost my passport and then almost <laughs> didn't get on the plane. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's it's been a smooth transition down here. Uh, went food shopping today, so that's my first time doing that in a foreign country. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, everything's getting settled and uh, my body after the flight and everything just would not allow me to stay up till 10. Uh, we decided to do Sunday anyway, and that was uh, that was a safe bet because yeah. I was dead. Yeah, that that jet lag to a foreign country, even if it even if it's just down south to the Caribbean, you know, not across the pond, it, it definitely is real. Arjun is joining us today as well. We got our first quad box of the Guilty as Charged podcast. So, Arjun, how you doing? And you happened to be at the game yesterday. So, what was that? Uh, what was that atmosphere like yesterday at SoFi Stadium? 
Yeah. So again, thanks for having me on. Super fun to do one of these with all four of us. Um, so yeah, I was the only one at the game yesterday. I had pretty good seats. Um, and, you know, I thought it was a, it was a great experience overall. The game, obviously, like if you're not as like intense of a fan and you, you don't know like the backup players like like we do, it might not. It's more for like the experience. But like I got a kick out of seeing some of the you know depth players play. Um, I will say like it was it was more difficult than I thought to like follow the game and like follow the players because like there were times where like I would try to watch a certain player and then I just miss what was going on on the other side of the field. Um, but yeah, great game overall. I think the Chargers played pretty well, and obviously we're going to be talking a lot about it. I, I'm super happy I was able to go uh, see SoFi once before I go back to Michigan in like two weeks. Um, so and it, like that is probably like the most beautiful stadium I think I've ever seen in my life like hands down. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I love the fact that it was a night game, you know, got to go, yeah. you know, experience the whole, you know, sunset experience, night game kind of atmosphere was a lot of fun. I saw a lot of people complaining about the parking at SoFi stadium. Um, I mean, Tyler, you can speak on this too, but I mean, you didn't get to go to the full uh, thing. So Arjun, what was the parking experience like yesterday? Yeah, so I mean, I game started at seven, uh, West Coast time, and so I got there at like five. Honestly, like I knew I was driving from like the Irvine area, so already going up to Inglewood is going to be pretty yeah. bad. And so like it took about like an hour to get there, um, and to get off the freeway off into like the Inglewood area was pretty rough. Uh, but because I got there pretty early, the parking wasn't as bad. Like there were a lot of spaces open, and luckily I parked next to the exit, so like I got out within like three minutes um oh, that's good but yeah i can totally understand how like if you get there at like 6 30 or like you're attempting to get there at 6 30 you're probably going to get there at like 7 15 uh so i would say like make arrangements to get there at least an hour and a half or ahead of time because like you're probably going to be planning for a lot of like waiting in lines especially in the parking area yeah and i imagine that gets even crazier once people start tailgating and things like that yeah um, we'll cross that border and get there tyler uh for those who were on twitter last night man like it was a surreal experience listening to jerry o'connell uh shout us out on cbs man like that was awesome uh i'm sitting there at a wedding in san luis obispo and i see a no i missed a notification from tyler that he had tried to call me uh and then he called me again and we were able to talk and it was just an exciting night man so how you doing and uh recap the jerry o'connell stuff for those who who missed it today yeah, I needed that, man. I was in a dark room <laughs> visualizing and imaging cells from 10 to 6. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get home, get some Chargers football. And it was great just to watch Chargers football again. So nice for us to be chatting about a real game right now. And also in the halftime show comes around, and I figure, okay, you know, I'm not going to spend the entire night just watching football. I can watch it at a different time. So, you know, maybe I'll just log off or whatever. And suddenly I'm sitting there. I'm not even, I'm barely listening. And all of a sudden I hear, blah, 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 something about kickers, guilty, you know, podcasts like Guilty as Charged and Locked On. I'm like, what and also my fiance yeah. like, oh my gosh like what the heck just happened and then we just we were all freaking out and then I, I obviously had to call you and then i'm on twitter like somebody send me this video quickly uh so for him to shout us out uh during the halftime report and then later i found out at the post game show as well that was really really cool i don't know what we did to deserve that but i really appreciate it so much and he owes me because when we were at training camp he interviewed everyone in front of me then skipped over me and interviewed someone behind the group behind me. And oh. says, you guys look like athletes. And I'm like, well, fuck you. Man. Thanks for skipping me. Do I not look like an athlete to you? Come on, Jerry. So, Jerry, I appreciate the shout out. Um, that was amazing. That was 
highlight of the year for sure. I needed that, so I appreciate it. That was awesome. Yeah, we just got to show Jerry. Now that Jerry watches us on YouTube, hopefully he'll see all those gymnastics medals behind Tyler and realize that he is in fact an athlete. <laughs> I was good at something <laughs> once, okay. <laughs> so lots of fun night for sure. Uh, we'll talk about everything about the Chargers game. I see uh, Matthew Henriksen has already done a super chat for us uh, about the running back depth chart, and we will definitely talk about that. Um, so we will definitely make sure that we hit all of your questions. Uh, we do want to give some of our general reactions. We're also going to talk uh, about this stupid NFL Top 100, which is even more drunk than usual this year. Uh, before we get to that, though, this um, this podcast is going to be on the audio pod feeds as well. Um, and so the audio version is also going to include an interview that I did with Zach Stevens, uh, who is a Broncos beat writer who covers uh, the Broncos for the DNVR network. Uh, great conversation with him talking about the Broncos, talking about the quarterback situation. Uh, of course, we talked about it before Drew Locke, you know, had his uh, day of preseason glory, um, but lots of great info there. So make sure and check that out. The video version will be posted on a separate video tomorrow. So um, definitely some great intel there. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Very excited about today's guest, who is Zach Stevens, a Broncos beat writer and beat reporter for DNVR. Zach, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing, man? Oh, Stephen, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. And uh, as I told you when you reached out, man, what an awesome name for a podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, we actually had uh, one of our listeners came up with the name. You know, we uh, we had some options that we liked and, and we kind of put it out on Twitter and uh, someone suggested Guilty as Charged podcast. So shout out to Riley. Everybody loves the name Riley. So thank you for that. Um, and and, uh, and you've killed the the branding too. I mean, hey, I'm you know I'm in Broncos <laughs> country here. Should probably be limiting the good things I say. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. It's it's been a, a lot of hard work for us. So, um, here to talk about the Broncos, I think it is only right that we talk first about um, the quarterback situation, the quarterback competition that the Broncos have going on. Of course, Drew Locke was the starter last year, had some mixed results, and then they bring in Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, via trade from the Carolina Panthers. So, Zach, update us on the quarterback battle. What have you been seeing from Drew and Teddy throughout camp? Uh, and maybe give your opinion on who the Broncos should choose ultimately. Well, before camp started, Vic Fangio said ideally he wants this decided as fast as possible, and he wants it to be decided by one guy pulling ahead of the other. We're over two weeks into camp now, Stephen. And there's no separation. So, it, you know, j just reading from what Vic has said, it's not ideal. And, of course, everyone wants it to be decided in Broncos country as soon as possible. And, of course, they want someone to jump out and grab the job because then it'll show yeah. that maybe they don't just have their quarterback for this year, but they have their quarterback for the future. And that has not happened. I've been at every practice, and it's been just 50-50. Uh, Vic has called it even Steven, and that's what it's been. You know, Drew wins a day. Teddy wins a day. Last week, it seemed like we were finally seeing some separation Teddy putting together five straight wins although they were small margins and then Drew comes out during the Broncos scrimmage the next practice and wins that by a good amount so really pulls that even again during the joint practices with the Vikings Teddy won the first day Drew won the second day so there this is going to be something where we don't know a starter probably until at least the third week of the preseason I wouldn't even be surprised if they wait until the first week of the regular season to decide this 
is. Now, what I've seen is I've seen Drew really change, try to change who he is as a quarterback. You know, he called himself a gunslinger last year, and that yeah. turned out to lead the league in interceptions. So now he's calling himself a calculated gunslinger, there which <laughs> in my interpretation just means a good quarterback. And he's trying to make better decisions. And from what I've seen, he is making better decisions. But for the most part, he's limiting the big plays that he has. And that's what that's what a lot of people like about Drew is his big playability, and he's really limited those so far in camp. Teddy, on the other hand, has honestly had more big plays than Drew. Everyone thought Teddy Bridgewater was this checkdown guy, and he's trying to show that he's more than just a checkdown guy. Right yeah. now, I think I give the, the, the edge to Teddy, and I think Teddy's going to end up being the starter for this team because I think if it's close – they're going to give the tie to Teddy. And the reason for that is Vic Fangio is making the call. He's coaching for his job. He wants to play defense and run the ball and not lose the game on offense. And he's going to trust Teddy a little more than Drew when it comes down to that because he saw Drew lead the league in interceptions last year. So I think he's going to go with the veteran option. I think they're still going to take a couple of weeks to decide this. But in the end, I do think it's Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, you know, from a, a Charters fan standpoint, like watching Drew Locke is it, kind of frustrating because you watch the game in Denver and you see this really, you know, explosive playmaker at the quarterback position that leads a game-winning drive. And then you watch him play in L.A. and it was like, man, this guy just like, he just doesn't have it today. And so I can only imagine what that feels like as a Broncos fan. And, you know, your listeners are probably definitely more familiar with it than <laughs> I am. Is, are they kind of... I assume they're running like the same system for both, right? Like they're not trying to yeah. change for Drew or change for Teddy at this point. Yeah, exactly. It, it's the same system. And Steven, this fan base is as divided as I've seen it over <laughs> Teddy and Drew because some people say, why would you go with Teddy? We know what Teddy is. He's a guy that, you know, he can kind of be the pilot, but he's never going to be the plane for your team. He's yeah. a guy that's a one-year fix. He's a guy that the Carolina Panthers just paid $20 million to and then moved on from him after one season. The, the Saints moved on from him after one season. The Jets moved on from him after one season. So why would you go with a guy that has a limited ceiling? But then people who want Teddy say, Look, this team is good enough to make the playoffs with an elite defense, a good running game, as long as the quarterback just doesn't lose it for us. So you have those the, – that, that's the view on Teddy. And then the view on Drew, the people that want Drew, they say – Look what he did against the Chargers in that fourth quarter yeah. in Denver last year. How he how he just led a massive comeback. He has the arm. He makes the wow throws. There's no question about that. He has the physical talent. But people who don't want Drew to be the quarterback say he led the league with 15 interceptions last year. He had his opportunity last year. This is a guy that it, he can he can make the Broncos go from being a borderline playoff team this year to having a losing record. So it, yeah. it's really divided here in Denver, and that's not what you want when you're talking about your quarterback position. Yes, obviously, you know, we Chargers fans are very fortunate to have Justin Herbert be as successful as he was last year. Um, I'm curious, has Vic said – how much Teddy and Drew are going to be playing in the preseason. Yeah, we expect them to both play a lot in the preseason. And this okay. first game coming up on Saturday, uh, you can expect at least a quarter and a half from each of these guys, which is how it should be. I mean, these guys should probably each get a half, but at least they're going to be getting at least a quarter and a half. Okay. 
Sounds good. So it's definitely something for uh, Chargers fans to keep an eye on this preseason. Uh, I want to shift gears and talk about the players that will be catching the ball from whoever plays quarterback. Um, obviously, as a, a general NFL fan, you never want to see anyone go down to injury. Um, hopefully, Cortland Sutton is healthy this year. But as a U- University of Utah alumni, I've got to say, I was so happy that Tim Patrick finally got his chance. Um, but now he's kind of stuck behind all those guys again. So um, talk to us about the Broncos skill players. Obviously, it seems like a very, very talented position group on paper. Um, but what have you been seeing from that group in training camp so far? Well, there's no question who the Broncos' number one receiver is right now, and it's not Cortland Sutton. It's Jerry Judy. And now this is going to be a tough sell to Chargers fans after what he did in Los Angeles last year with having five drops. I mean, that was by far the worst game of his career. It's probably going to be the worst game that he ever has in the NFL because it was a historically bad game by any wide receiver. But Jerry Judy in 13 practices now – has two drops. So he's really worked on the drop issue. And then outside of that, the talent flashed all over the field last year with just his route running ability, his ability to get open, and that's only gotten better this year. In training camp, he's gone against one of the best secondaries, if not the the best secondary in in the NFL that the Broncos have, and he's open 95% uh, of the snaps. So he is a guy that's going to have a monster season. I really expect those drops to come down, and he's going to have a breakout season significantly over 1,000 yards. Cortland Sutton, he's still working his way way back from the ACL. Uh, he's supposed to be 100% by week one, but I'm I'm tempering my expectations on what to expect to him from this year because we typically hear guys when they come back from injury, especially in ACL, they feel great. They're ready to go. But then that following year, we kind of hear the them say, right. uh, last year I was still working on it. And that's kind of what I'm expecting for, from Cortland Sutton. I think he's going to be very good. But with Jerry Judy being so good this year, as I expect him to be, I think he's going to be the number two receiver. And then you have the X factor of this offense, and that's K.J. Hamler former second round pick last year he is so fast and if he stays healthy which he had four hamstring injuries last year so that is a big if if he stays healthy he is the big play weapon that this offense has so desperately needed and then Steven a guy you talked about Tim Patrick he is he is a very very good number two receiver in the NFL could even make a case to be a number one receiver but he's just not going to get that opportunity here in Denver this year. Broncos are going to have a very interesting decision to make after this year. Do they just let Tim walk? Do they try to trade him in the middle of this season? Do they let Cortland Sutton walk or try to trade him because they're so confident in Tim Patrick? So that's a conversation for for many months from now. But Tim Patrick is a guy where if Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy get hurt, uh, then you have a very confident guy to fall back on. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it was so good. You know, Utah fans have always been familiar with Tim Patrick, but it was always, you know, like a health thing. And then his one finally season that he was able to stay healthy, he had a great season for University of Utah. So very excited about him. Um, I want to get your thoughts about some comments that uh, the Broncos general manager, Mr. Payton, made a couple of days ago. Um, apparently finding a franchise cornerback is more difficult than finding a franchise quarterback from what uh, obviously paraphrasing there. What'd you make of, of those comments, which obviously was, you know, about choosing Patrick Sertain instead of choosing uh, Justin Fields. So what, what did you make of those comments by Mr. Payton? 
Yeah, it was head scratching, and I've really understood everything George Payton's done up until this point. I understood why he drafted Patrick Sertan over the quarterbacks. I personally didn't agree with it. I th- I thought they should have gone with either Fields or Mac Jones, and from everything I'd heard, they really liked Justin Fields. So to me, those things didn't add up. But then hearing him say that uh, is really the first time when, when I've completely disagreed with him. Now, t- we talked to him today, and he tried to clarify that by saying uh, he, he values the quarterback position extremely high uh, and it's the most important position in sports as it is and it should be viewed that way but still just a little confused with his thinking there because the he said quarterbacks are available more than franchise cornerbacks but to me he's just not weighing the importance of the quarterback position because there's no question the quarterback is way more valuable than a franchise quarterback and or cornerback and the Broncos have had quarterbacks fault in their laps the past few years you have Case Keenum you have Joe Flacco you have Trevor Simeon you have Paxton yeah you can find a quarterback any single year sure that that's the case but you have to invest big time in one of those or else you're going to be like the Broncos have been the past five years they've had a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball and it just doesn't matter if you don't have the quarterback position and you know that that's why the Broncos are in such a tough spot right now is regardless on if it's Teddy or Drew they're probably very likely going to have the fourth best quarterback in the AFC West, which is just such a tough spot to be in. It really is. And, you know, I, I was kind of surprised when they took Patrick Sertan, but I was like, Sertan is great. And I figured that he would be kind of, a, you know, that key cog back there. And then they went and signed Kyle Fuller too. So I'm just kind of interested to see how the playing time aspect, you know, turns out for the secondary do they cut a player like Michael Ojemudier, who's someone I think is pretty talented? Um, what do you think ends up being kind of the rotation for this Broncos secondary? And do you think they maybe do cut someone like Ojemudier? Yeah, one thing that I've been very encouraged with on the defensive side of the ball is they're using all of, all of their top four cornerbacks nearly every single play. So they're running dime a ton. Okay. In my mind and from everything I've seen, Dime is going to be their new base, which is just pretty incredible. That's kind of on the forefront of where the NFL is now because now you see people using nickel kind of as their new base. Well, the Broncos are stepping that one up and doing Dime where they have four cornerbacks, four potential starting cornerbacks on most teams. And then, of course, they have all-pro safety Justin Simmons next to Kareem Jackson, which means they're really going to rely on their four guys up front, Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, and then uh, Shelby Harris and Draymond. Jones in the middle to defend the run because they're only going to have one linebacker on the field at a time. But when you have four cornerbacks that you have such a big investment and in, you have to have them on the field, I think Michael O.J. Moody is going to end up making this team as the fifth cornerback. But there's some depth there where the Broncos are, are going to have to cut someone that's going to be picked up by another team and, and make their roster. Now, it was interesting. George Payton also told us today that he's received a lot of calls about the Broncos' depth at cornerback. So mm-hmm. whether we're talking O.J. Moody, a fifth, sixth string type of guys, or whether we're talking Broncos potentially moving on from one of those top four guys uh, is interesting. From everything I've seen, though, they're ready to commit to four guys uh, on the field this year. That's really interesting. And obviously, you know, you got to play to your strengths, but that that's quite a philosophy change for Vic Fangio because I went back and studied the Bears defense this year, uh, this summer ahead of, you know, getting ready for the Chargers to try and see 
what my the Chargers do for their linebacker and like how they're going to use them. And so to see Vic Vangio go from having Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith playing like 90% of the snaps between the two of them to now hearing that he's going to be mostly in dime package. That's quite a change for him. Yeah. And, and, and to, to be honest, it's impressive to see an older guy that's been in the league for three yeah. or four decades make this change so late in his career, but it's playing to his strengths, which is something that the Broncos have just Broncos fans have been so frustrated with in the past is this coaching staff, not necessarily this one, but coaching staffs in the past, not playing to their players strengths. Uh, and, and on top of that, uh, what, what you're going to have in Denver is you, it, you're really going to be relying on that secondary against Justin Herbert against Patrick Mahomes so I think the division and who they're playing has a ton to do with that because yes the Chiefs and the Chargers can run the ball but that's not how they're going to win you guys are going to win with Justin (laughs) Herbert the the Chiefs are going to win with Patrick Mahomes and then the Raiders you know they're maybe the most balanced team in, in terms of that but if you shut down Derek Carr then you can contain Josh Jacobs I think yeah, I know there's been a lot of chatter uh, at Chargers training camp about like getting the running game improved and, and you know keeping those guys healthy. And like, yes, that's important, but like, who are we kidding? It's going to be about Justin Herbert. Same with Patrick Mahomes. I'm hearing Chiefs fans talk about you know Clyde Edwards-Helaire being like the X factor, and he might be, but man, it, it's all about the quarterbacks in this division, and that's what makes it so fun. Yeah, and that's what makes it so terrifying for Broncos <laughs> when they you know clearly have the fourth best quarterback. Yeah. Um, how is Vaughn Miller doing? I, I, you know, as a casual fan, again, you know, I'm all, I've always been a big fan of Vaughn, such a great player, you know, almost single-handedly wrecked this Super Bowl for, for the Broncos and the, and the Carolina Panthers. Um, how's Vaughn been looking coming back from his own injury? You know, he, he looks really good. He looks like Von Miller. And typically, Von Miller in training camp blows training camp up and, and just ruins it for the offense. <laughs> He's certainly flashed that this training camp. Uh, but he also looked great last year in training camp. Last year in training camp, he may have looked the best he's ever looked. And then, of course, one week, five days before the season starts, he gets a, a terrible injury to his ankle yeah. that takes him out for the entire season. This is a huge season for Von Miller, though, because not only season-ending injury last year where he doesn't play a single snap, the season before, he only had eight sacks. His worst season outside uh, of, I believe, his third season where he didn't play in in most of the games. So this is a monster season for him to decide if he's going to stay with the Broncos after this year, decide if he's going to be a $20 million player moving forward because now he's on a contract year. Broncos were unsure if they were going to pick up his option, did it at the last minute, and now his future really rides on this year yeah absolutely very similar situation to what you know we just experienced with melvin ingram and hopefully you know vaughn miller's season ends up better being better than you know melvin ingram's does but um definitely something to keep an eye on there uh let's talk about the afc west as a whole obviously it seems like everybody is kind of you know vying for that second place behind the kansas city chiefs obviously you know you you never know for sure in the nfl um, but I, I feel very confident in saying that the Chiefs are probably the best team in the AFC again. Um, what do you make of the rest of the AFC and how do the Broncos fit in there? I mean, it all comes down to Justin Herbert when you talk about the AFC West, because like you said, Stephen, you know what the Chiefs are going to be. They're going to be they're going to be extremely good. And especially after losing that Super Bowl last year, I think that they're just going to want to torch 
the rest of the NFL. Yeah. So that that's why I think it's going to be hard for any team to keep up with him. But heck, if Justin Herbert builds off the season that he had last year, and to be fair, going into the draft last year, I was not a Justin Herbert fan. The Broncos were connected with taking him if he came out a year before, and I thought, oh no, that's not <laughs> that's not a guy I want to touch. And then he's totally proved me wrong. And so yeah. now I'm all on the Justin Herbert train because he's proved me wrong and had such a good season. If he builds off that then uh, who's to say that they're not keeping up with the Chiefs? Now, I still give the, the 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 edge to the Chiefs, but maybe it comes down to week 17, week 18, when the Chiefs finally pull away. And if Justin Herbert is that guy, well, they're going to have the number two seed in the AFC West locked up. The, the Raiders aren't going to be able to keep up with them. And the Broncos, even with the great defense, aren't going to be able to keep up with them. Uh, but if Justin Herbert kind of has some sophomore struggles, then I think that number two spot is wide open Absolutely, for the yeah. rest of the of the AFC West. And it just, for the Broncos, it depends on how good their quarterback play is. If they have average quarterback play, that's all the Broncos need is average. Then they'll be fighting for a playoff spot. They'll be relevant in the beginning of January. But last year, they had, you know, bottom three quarterback play. Teddy Bridgewater wasn't great with the Panthers. That's why they moved on from him. But all they need is average. And that's, again, why I think they're going to fall back on Teddy because they're going to say he has the best chance of not being a top five quarterback, but of being an average quarterback for this team. They're going to be built on defense, like we've talked about, in the running game. They have they have uh, the fourth highest paid running back in the NFL this year and a guy you're very familiar with, Melvin Gordon. And then they have a yes. second round pick, a guy they traded up for in Javante Williams they're going to roll with those guys and they should have a pretty good run game so if the quarterback plays average they'll be competing with the Raiders they'll be competing with the Chargers as long as Justin Herbert doesn't look like a potential MVP yeah I mean, that, that's crazy man like we didn't even get to talk about Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams and I, I love Javante Williams coming out of the draft I thought he was you know right there with Najee Harris as like the best back in the class so um so many interesting storylines for the Broncos this season Chargers fans, make sure and give Zach a follow on Twitter, at Zach Stevens. You can follow DNVR Broncos as well. That's who he covers the Broncos for. Some great stuff on a weekly basis for uh, Broncos Intel because we all know that's important. We all got to keep an eye on the rest of the division. Uh, Zach, thanks for joining me, man. I, I hope you have a great season covering the Broncos, and we'll be in touch later on. Hey, that sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Maybe we'll talk some Broncos Chargers when we get in the season. Yeah, absolutely happy to do that anytime, man. All right, we'll see you later. All right, let's talk about this Chargers-Rams preseason. Uh, we'll just go through uh, today. We're going to do some general takeaways, and then we're going to do some winners and loses, losers or stock up, stock down, however you guys want to format it. And then, like I said, talk about the NFL Top 100. So, Arjun, you were there. What is your biggest takeaway from the Chargers-Rams preseason game yesterday? Okay, so I'm going to give, because I, I think you guys are going to have like more like film-based stuff. I'm going to give an analytics answer. I absolutely loved that Joe Lombardi threw the ball on the Chargers' first six first downs. Like the first six first downs that the Chargers had, he threw all of them. I And I, you know, I have, um, I went back and watched it on, in the first quarter alone on, I think it was, I think it was eight first downs. He threw on seven of them and he only ran once. And the only time he ran was on first and goal. Like that, that's just amazing to me. Like, you know, yeah. that, you know, Brandon Staley's data, data driven. He said that in his press conference and to see it actually happen on paper is awesome. And yeah, it could just be with Chase Daniel. And we don't know how this is going to translate with Justin Herbert, but like, you know, 
even if even if the passes weren't like you know like an actual pass if it was a screen pass or a swing pass you know the intent is there and that that's what really mattered to me and like I, I talked about this in my in the intro like I didn't have Wi-Fi so I couldn't tweet about it while the game was going on but luckily like Popper he you know he does a good job of uh, oh, yeah. you know going a little more in depth and then some of the other beat reporters like he kind of understood where the you know where everything else was going so he tweeted that out great and obviously that gained a lot of uh a lot of traction on Twitter, which is really good to see. So that was my number one big takeaway. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the pace of play, which Brandon Staley talked about in the post game yeah. press conference, was definitely noticeable. And I liked how he pointed out pointed out that you can do more than just you know run no huddle to create a fast tempo. Um, and that was definitely noticeable. I like the variety in which the pass plays were called. You know, there was a play action boot. There was a sprint out. There was, you know, quick passes. Uh, there was that deep pass to Jalen Guyton, which uh, Daniel just missed. Um, but I was definitely a fan of the play calls with the first team offense. Um, Alex, like me, you happened to watch the game uh, a day late. So what was your biggest takeaway from uh, kind of rewatching the Chargers and Rams preseason game? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I sort of woke up and I saw the score uh, and my instant reaction was to be like, oh, this was kind of a slog, wasn't it? <laughs> but like, it really wasn't one. It, it felt like a game that just kind of yeah. moved fast. Obviously, the Chargers first drive lasted 10 minutes. Uh, like Arjun <laughs> said that, you know, the pace of play yeah. just kind of like kept going and it never really felt like there was like a dud in the action where like neither team maybe neither team could get going on offense, but there was always like some kind of, you know, defensive play, like a, you know, that big Kaiser stop or something that yeah. really shifted things. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, even though it was 13 to six, it, it did not feel like, you know, a 13 to six kind of game. Uh, so that was kind of my instant, you know, takeaway from watching it. Uh, you know, we'll get into kind of breaking it down further with winners and losers and stuff, but uh, I really thought it was a promising effort from a lot of guys. Uh, Larry Roundtree, who I've always liked and never talked bad about, <laughs> uh, had a great game. And uh, yeah, it, it was just a really fun game all around. It seemed like the atmosphere was kind of back at SoFi. Uh, I couldn't really hear whether there were more Rams or Chargers people. It felt kind of even. I don't know. It, it, was, it was more Rams. It was yeah, a more Rams. Also. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it was more difficult probably go to, to go to the game as a Chargers fan. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, that kind of <laughs> made sense. Uh, but no, I, I thought overall it was a really good night uh, just to get back to football. And there's a lot of things they have to clean up too. We'll talk about special teams, which was right. kind of a nightmare right. again. Uh, but overall, uh, I, I felt good watching it and was just happy football was back overall. All right, Tyler, outside of the Jerry O'Connell shout out, man, what was your biggest takeaway from yesterday? And you've you've happened to go back and rewatch, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So what was your biggest takeaway from yesterday's game? Yeah, I was just so stoked to see that Staley has the depth of this roster so competitive and energetic, whether that be, you know, Brandon versus Hall or Gaziano and Fajoko and Merrill and Covington versus each other or, you know, uh, Ogbong Bamiga versus Neiman. Like there are so many players on this defense that are just fighting and they are so good so many guys at different spots deserve that last spot and again like at any point whether it's interior defensive line linebacker corner slot corner safety whatever i would so much rather keep those guys than easton stick and we can get into that like yeah. they're just these guys are fighting their tails i've been playing so well how can you let any of these guys go it is yeah. the most fun i've had watching a preseason game in a while because 
They are so competitive at different spots. And then, of course, I mean, come on, Kaiser White and Drew Tranquil out there today, yeah. yesterday. That was amazing. And, you know, watching them at the scrimmage, they absolutely shut down the run game, even with, even with Murray going out that game. You know, and the reason in my most, most recent uh, roster predictions that I had them letting go of Fajoko and keeping Broughton is because even though Fajoko, I think, is a more, you know, more of that run defender kind of guy, they have a good run defense because of these linebackers. And I did yeah. not expect that heading into the season. I thought that would obviously be their weak link. You know, and some mm-hmm. of the games that we predicted earlier in the season, I thought, okay, they'd lose to maybe, say, like the Vikings or something, because how are you stopping Dalvin Cook? But man, these linebackers, these linebackers look good. Those two linebackers look so good. They were blitzing, they were covering, they were tackling. I mean, just competitive on this defense. Like the coaching so far, at least on the defense, is an A+. plus. Like I'm so, so thrilled with what I'm seeing from this defense. Yeah, we were we were definitely on the same page because I was gonna, I was going to talk about the linebackers as well today because I mean it, it wasn't just Tranquil and Kaiser who played fantastic in the two series that they played, but Eamon Ogbongwamiga and Nick Neiman were flying around making plays. So we were very curious to see you know what the plan would be with these linebackers this season, and apparently the plan is to let them play with their heads on fire, man. Like all four of them. Yeah. We're flying around, making plays. Um, and, you know, I was so happy to see some blitzes, man. Like, Keeman Hall got in the action. Yeah. Keeman blitzed. Yeah. Drew Tranquil had a great hit off, off of Duck Hodges, uh, which, man, like, that was some some great retribution, man. Just seeing Needed Duck that. Hodges get laid out like that, <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, so just the way that these linebackers were playing and the way that they're going to use them, it was just so much fun to watch. You know, all of them got to blitz. All of them got to make some plays in the run game. Um, so I, I definitely am on the same page with Tyler. Those guys uh, were definitely the standouts. Um, let's move on to some other players, though. Arjun, who did you think really kind of helped themselves with their performance yesterday? Uh, you can mention the linebackers again if you want, but uh, maybe touch on someone else uh, that really stood out to you. Um, okay, so this is going to be a quick one, but I thought Rashawn Slater looked excellent, like especially in pass pro run blocking. He was, you know, kind of what I expected. Like he wasn't like moving anyone off, but like I watched him for a couple of reps, didn't allow a single pressure. He was clean across the board, hundred percent, um, clean pocket rate or, you know, and I'm, I looked at his PFF grade was his pass blocking grade was like an 86, which is like excellent for where it needs to be. So obviously he only played one drive, but 19 plays. I mean, he kind of got like a really good workload in. Um, and he, he looks fine stamina wise. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Keevon Hall. And like, I think I, if we, like, if we do roster predictions, I think they should keep John Brandon, but I think Keevon Hall had a really good night. Um, yeah. and it's not just, it's not just like the plays he made. Cause he had the forced fumble that they didn't recover. And that was like, I had the clear vision on it. Like they yeah, should have recovered the that. Tillman. Yeah. He, that was a really good punch, but the other play that I thought was really or the other thing I really liked about him was Staley likes to use him as a blitzer. And you mentioned it like a couple of minutes ago, they blitzed him twice out of the slot. And one of them, he was literally in perfect position when um, they ran a bootleg. And so he forced the incompletion because he uh, put, I think it was Hodges under pressure. And it seems like, you know, he was the guy starting on special teams as a gunner and in and, uh, and kick coverage. Um, and then it seems like he was the guy that came on in nickel from what I saw. So to me, it seems like he, you know, he's kind of like the trusted player of the staff, which I don't, I don't really mind. He looked pretty juiced out there. And like, um, he didn't really get targeted that much. It was, he only had like two targets. He allowed one reception, but 
he was flying everywhere, used as a blitzer, used, um, you know, kind of guarding like the shallow part of the field. So kind of, I really liked what I saw from him on defense and he was kind of the guy that was like my standout for yesterday. I love Alex, that. Alex, who stood out? Oh, sorry, sorry, I just want to jump in ahead. there real fast. You know, for Slater to bounce back, while rewatching the scrimmage, I personally gave him six pressures and a sack given up. It was just a rough day, but you're playing Joey Bussa, Kyler Fackrell, Lieutenant Bosu. It's tough. So for him to bounce back like that in like a real game setting and just crush guys is wonderful. I was so happy to see that. Yeah, I, I thought Rashawn Slater was obviously uh, really great to see just him do that. And unfortunately, when Rashawn Slater came off the field, we saw the drop off between him and Storm Norton <laughs> and Trey Pipkins and all those guys. Um, but yeah, that wasn't too pretty. But the, my guy of the game, uh, other than, you know, Larry Roundtree, who, who we talked about a little bit, uh, it's got to be Joshua Palmer. Um, I thought he was just really crisp. There wasn't really like a big play where it's like, oh, man, he just gained 20 yards. But six receptions, uh, I believe about 36 yards. And every route was just really clean, whether it was that like hook he was running or just getting open in general. Um, I was impressed with how easily he got open uh, in comparison to say like, you know, Mike Williams, who like doesn't do that stuff quite as well. Uh, and, you know, Palmer may be viewed as kind of that natural replacement eventually. Uh, it was just, uh, it was really interesting to see him just be this crisp already uh, with his yeah. route running. And, and he can kind of only go up from here a little bit. Uh, you You look back to that clip of the senior bowl, which is, you know, him kind of, getting open and, you know, finding that separation. And I think he's really only going to get better as time goes on. So I was, I really liked what I saw from uh, Josh Palmer, which is why he's in the thumbnail. <laughs> yeah. Palmer, man, just like his size and his route running just always sticks out. And, you know, I did a poll on Twitter from the podcast account a couple of weeks ago of who people uh, were thinking would lead this, well, lead this wide receiver three group in terms of targets and it really seems like it's going to be Palmer from here on out. Like, I, I really believe that he's going to have a big, big role for this team and definitely played well yesterday. Uh, thankfully, it just seemed like he lost a contact or something. So, uh, yeah, it seems like he's fine. Um, so I definitely could talk about Larry Roundtree, man. Like, I, I would love to take a victory lap there, um, but I'm going to wait. Uh, I'm going to learn my lesson from Joshua Kelly. Very excited about what Roundtree put out yesterday. Uh, but I'm going to hold off a little bit and I'm going to talk about Brendan Hymas. And obviously everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I, I love my, I love my hogs, man. And Brendan Hymas, I was focusing on him. Like I would watch the play and then I would rewind it to watch Brendan Hymas. I thought he had a fantastic game as a run blocker, as a pass blocker. And there were a couple of series when they rotated him out in favor of Tyree St. Louis and, or Ryan Hunter. And they were kind of mixing those two in and out. And as soon as Hymas came out, Easton State got pressured right up the middle and got sacked. Like, Hymas, yeah. like, you could kind of – could definitely be a double-edged sword here, but he really seems like the sixth best offensive lineman on the, in the group already. And, like, I know people love Scott Questenberry, and I like him as well. But I think the upside with Ren and Hymas this year is, is really going to, you know, express itself. Um, you know, and, and I'm excited for his future. And I thought he played excellent yesterday. Uh, both as a run blocker and as a pass blocker. Man, this rookie class is really just, I don't remember the last time it was crazy. Took their, took their best traits and they all translated so far to the NFL. Like granted, no real games yet. I get it. But like everyone is translating so well. It, that's got to be coaching, right? I've never seen something like this before. 
Yeah, it definitely is. It's coaching. And I just think like they knew specific traits, like what they were looking for yeah. in all of these players. And I like we can talk about Larry Roundtree now, because I think, you know, with the running back battle, which we can get into, which was a question, um, I was like disappointed in Justin Jackson. Like, I know he got hurt, but it just didn't really seem like he was very decisive. It was a lot of dancing. It was a lot of hesitating. And, you know, we saw that clip from Joe Lombardi's mic'd up. Like, he doesn't want that. He wants you to just go hit, see the hole, hit the hole. And we saw that a little bit from Joshua Kelly, who I think, you know, his yards total does not paint a very pretty picture. But I like the way that he ran. I like the style with which he ran. And then you saw Larry Roundtree come in and, you know, hit two holes really hard for big plays. And then Darius Bradwell did the same thing. So that's definitely a concern for me with the way that Justin Jackson played. And then, of course, he had to get hurt, too. So uh, I'm not booting him off the roster just yet, but I am definitely concerned about Justin Jackson going forward. Definitely concerned there. I hope – because I think each back was able to run an angle route at least once, and Jackson just looked the most crisp running that and in the open field. But I think the other two guys, Kelly, sort of a drop, sort of a high throw from Daniel. And then I think either one of Bradwell or Roundtree ran it again, and it looked fine. Jackson just has a little bit of an edge as a receiver, and I would love that role for him for sure. He lined up in the slot at the scrimmage, so he's doing different things like that. I like that for him. Um, okay, uh, you know what? Here comes the dislikes. I'm not saying anything negative about Roundtree here. I'm just going to say that he wasn't touched on the first, I think, 13, no, first 11 yards of the first play and the first 13 yards of the second play. And I'm not taking anything away from him because it is what it is, but – you know, the vision to bounce outside is great, but no one touched him. And then on that last play, that, you know, game ceiling sort of run, if you will, he had a great hole to run through. And yeah, uh, so I, I want to see more from him is what I'm saying. I, I yeah. can't take anything yeah. away from him. I'm just also saying he wasn't touched for the first 13 and 11 yards. And then the other six carries were for 14 yards. So it is what it is. But that's that's kind of mean. Um, so my guy I'll get into. Yeah, my dog's barking, whatever. I'll just let it go. Uh, so my guy is Nick Neiman. And I wasn't sure how he was doing, considering as soon as Murray went down, Ogbongamika came in when they were playing at the scrimmage. I'm thinking, okay, what's Neiman's, what's, what are they doing here? And I was actually surprised that they were both on the field at the same time rather than rotating like they did at the scrimmage. But it's really nice to see that some of his best traits, you know, shedding blocks, making tackles, good tackles, that was all on display. And he was pretty solid in coverage too. Not that he had a whole lot of opportunities to show out in, in coverage, but you know, overall the stat line is you know six tackles, two run stops, one pressure on a pass rush rep, um, allowing just one catch for seven yards in coverage, and you know, not that Ogbongamika played terribly, but he was just Neiman was just a little bit better, particularly in coverage, obviously, um, and so yeah. it was nice to see Neiman have that game. It's like okay, here's what I can do because I just didn't really get to see him do much outside of, of yesterday's game. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to talk about, I, I think I agree with everything Tyler said, especially the round tree thing. He had holes when he broke off those burger runs. It wasn't like he created them for himself. It felt like it was, you know, well schemed or well blocked. Um, I'm going to answer Craig's question. And also I wanted to talk about this after Steven did, but PFF actually had Haim is at a, he, they graded him as a 48.6, which is pretty, which is pretty bad. And this is only looking at his pass protection. Um, but I'll I'll give you the reason why. So it wasn't anything with pressures. He had 30 pass blocking snaps and only allowed one pressure. The problem was they graded him as getting beat without a pressure four times. So like it's called like 
he got beat on the play, but it didn't generate a pressure. They gave him that four times. Like I, I would have to go watch it again to see like, you know, where the plays are. Um, but that's, that's where he's graded at. Uh, I, I don't, you know, that's, I'm not sure like how you, if you agree with that or not, Steven. Uh, no, that's a hard no for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was but, surprised it was so low, but I didn't expect it to be super high. Like there were a couple of mistakes in there. Yeah. No, there definitely were some mistakes. And, and, you know, I don't want people to misunderstand that I'm painting him to be like Zach Martin all of a sudden, but I, I thought he played really, really well, which we can talk about Zach Martin later and I will, but um, <laughs> um, yeah. Alex, go ahead, Arjun. Oh yeah. Sorry. No, I was going to add um, the, another player I, I thought played pretty well. He didn't like grade out well by PFF, but again, we're not going to use their grading system for a lot of these things. But I like Screw how Chris and everyone who works there, right? All right, yeah, shush, shush. I'm not, I'm not talking bad on them. All right, obviously they're my, got it. But you know, Chris Rumpf, I thought he had a pretty solid game. Like yeah. the, he played a lot of snaps, and so like he, you know, he's not. I don't think he's going to be a big efficiency guy unless he's going to be in that like Ichena Nobosu role. His like, uh, from his rookie year. Um, but like, I thought Rump's energy was like pretty intense, and like. I was like watching stuff after the play. You know, he was always the one that would like bring the energy to the huddle, which I liked. He was he was chasing guys down like after they got past the backfield. Like there were plays where you know they had like a a miscommunication in, in the secondary, and Rump was there chasing them down. He had a cleanup sack, which obviously isn't something like you really want to see. Like you want to see him in a covered sack, but you know he was still hustling after he got blocked. And uh, special teams. Um, I think so. We're going to talk about special teams later, but like he, he obviously is going to be playing on special teams, which is good, shows his value. Um, but the only thing I think he struggled in was like setting the edge against the run sometimes, but that's expected, you know, given his weight. But I thought like he was a pretty high energy guy yesterday. And like you could, you kind of have to be like, you have to, you have to focus on him if you want to really see it on the field. Um, but yeah. that's kind of another one of my guys that I really liked. Yeah, I thought Chris Rumpf uh, obviously had a good day. I really, everyone kind of in the edge group, I thought was pretty solid. Uh, I think when you go to uh, Egbule, I think he had a good day. Uh, I also saw Joe Gaziano like a lot, uh, just kind of just getting involved. There was that one play where like Gaziano, I think Gaziano, Rumpf, and Egbule just like swarmed. Yeah, I think it was Bryce Perkins who was in the game at that point. Um, And so that was a pretty good uh, sack. So all of them really did pretty good, and it's a deep uh, kind of edge room. I not that I'm gonna say it's a deep edge room after one preseason game, but I feel <laughs> better about that edge group compared to what I did before, which is like, well, we kind of don't know what Rumpf is gonna be yet. He looked bigger. He looked better than you know, say any of his Duke tape. Um, and then I think the same goes for you know the guys towards the end of the roster who are trying to make it like. Egbule and Gaziano, you just saw a little bit of motor out of them. Uh, and got to be honest, like, yeah, uh, I like that effort. Uh, going back to the linebackers that we talked about, right? Like, you know, you can look at Amen Agbang Bumiga in, in pass coverage and be like, oh, I didn't really like that. But he made up for it, like, a ton in the second yeah. half. Like, just yeah. getting after it, uh, you know, getting run stuffs in the backfield, getting pressures. Uh, you know, he was just all over the field. And it, it was just that continuing theme with linebackers, uh, you know, throughout the day. So I really liked kind of everyone um, on the defense for the most part. Like, it was just a really intense effort. Uh, not everyone, but it, it was an intense effort from, 
from really, you know, all the kind of units. I, I didn't think there was like a week one where I went, oh man, that, that could have been better. Yeah, yeah, and Eamon, Eamon trucked the shit out of Raymond Calais in the, in the yeah. Like, that, that was, yeah. I saw that happen, and, like, I was like, man, that that's, has to get a highlight on Twitter or oh, something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Eamon had a good day, and he blew that guy up. And, and Asante Samuel Jr., man, like, he woke up and chose violence against Tutu Owl. But the, those old uh, <laughs> ACC rivalries were, were showing out. Um, but, yeah, you know, in terms of Chris Rump, his effort is everywhere, man, and um joey bosa was talking about it in his interview with lt and matt money smith that um you know they, they they're doing gps readings on all these players now and rump is always yeah. like the highest one of the edge rusher group so he like i, I still have some concerns like rj mentioned uh, in terms of becoming a well-rounded player but if the chargers are able to get you know consistent effort out of him like i'll take that and then the production will come later on and really that's all you can ask for from him at this point and he was flying around making plays all over the place too so um i think one of the other groups that really stood out yesterday was the interior defensive lineman um, yes forrest merrill yeah. you know had a couple tackles for loss christian covington only played the two series but he had a couple tackles for loss brain fajoko had some good pressures joe gaziano had some good pressures um so i know there was some confusion in, in terms of where joe gaziano was playing uh he is essentially a defensive tackle right now um, if you want to, you know, label him like that, he is an interior rusher. So I think that fits him better. Um, but all those guys flash him good signs. Obviously, you know, they're not going up against the starter, the starting Rams offensive line. But, um, you know, Mina Kimes was pointing out that the Rams did have a couple players who started some games for them last year. So um, I was really impressed with the defensive tackle group. And, you know, one of the things that Tyler has has pointed out from his trips to training camp is just how, active and versatile that group is in terms of stunts and you know there's loops and games on every single play to kind of you know help this defensive line get some pressure which we like <laughs> there's blitzes and there's stunts like on every pass rush rep it seems like which with with Gus Bradley and company it was just like all right you four go make a play um so I was really impressed with the way that those defensive tackles played and, you know, I think that's, you know, some good things going forward. Obviously, Cortez Brown did not play, um, but I'm looking forward to seeing him get back in the fold because he's got uh, some competition to make up from these guys who were able to play yesterday. How do you pick? There are so many guys <laughs> yeah. that, that deserve a shot on this roster. I've never wanted to keep someone into your defensive lineman in my life. Yeah, I, I can actually, like, I think this is a really good segue. So, like, when we're having this like Roundtree versus Kelly discussion, right? I think one of the big things that gets brought up in the analytics community is like the idea of confirmation bias, right? So I'll put it this way, right? Cortez was a draft pick and Fajoka was an undrafted free agent. Kelly was a pick by the previous regime and Roundtree was the pick to replace uh, like Kelly is what we're assuming from this regime. And even though Roundtree was picked later than Kelly, he's like the the confirmation bias is the idea that like this front office and this coaching staff will want to keep Roundtree to confirm their priors that he's the better back or he's that he's better at competing for this RB three or even RB two spot than Kelly is. So I think, you know, I, I'm not sure how this is going to unfold. You know, any injury could cause like a, a huge change in our predictions. But when I look at it, I think confirmation bias is probably going to be the number one thing that, 
determines a lot of these roster decisions. And like, I'm not saying Cortez Broaden is better than Fajoko, but you know, that is something you'd have to keep in mind, especially like since I, I'm not sure who's the one making decisions. Like we don't know if this is Tom Telesco's team, Brandon Staley's team, or is it like, it's a good marriage. Right. Yeah. But um, I think that's something to keep in mind um, to kind of answer Tyler's question, <laughs> if that made sense. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that makes sense. And in terms of like Broughton and Fajoko, I think we talked a little bit about this last pod where I think I would give the edge to Broughton, but not by a lot, you know, in terms of yeah. this like current regime, like I don't really think they care either way because I mean, Fajoko was an undrafted free agent by the previous regime and Cortez Broughton was a pick by the previous regime. So like, there's not like a ton of differentiation there. I could definitely see it with Roundtree and Kelly because the new coaching staff, pretty much did draft Roundtree and uh, you know, you can kind of go through a bunch of other positions on the roster, like the, you know, the Neiman pick as well um, versus, you know, some of the older linebackers who've been on this team. So I would kind of just say it's going to be interesting to see what decisions they make and and who they cut, which I'm sure we'll get to as we approach closer to the 53 man predictions episode by the end of the preseason. Um, But yeah, no, uh, do we want to start getting into some losers uh, yeah, from yesterday. Uh, right. So I was thinking that we take a little break to take some questions, oh, okay, and then do losers, and then talk about the special teams, which could definitely be a part of the losers. Um, but yeah, we'll take a couple seconds to take to answer some questions. Um, I know someone commented about the first cuts. Um, they have to get to eighty-five players on Tuesday. Um, so I did we decide if they're at eighty-eight or eighty-nine right now? They're they're eighty-eight. Okay, mm-hmm. they're at 88. So they have to cut three players uh, before Tuesday at noon. Um, so let's get to a couple other questions. I think Kesman's gone because Staley mentioned in his presser it was Viscano. I don't know. Viscano or Viscano, like whatever. I don't know. Everyone's got their own thing, man. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Ty, Ty, Tyler was saying Viscano. I was saying Viscano. And then they were like Viscaino. So Viscaino. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I was like. Yeah, but yeah, Staley didn't mention Kessman at all in his pre- in his post game presser, so I think it's firmly between Baj and and Tristan. Yeah, yeah. Um, which they could definitely make that an easy thing with Kessman. Unfortunately, uh, I think you know Alex was the most excited about him, but we were all pretty excited about like the possibilities of of adding that kind of leg to the team. So um, Thomas Martinez wants to know our thoughts on Donald Parham, uh, according to um, what's his name Siciliano. Andrew Parham, um, the freaking phonetics were a mess yesterday. So someone needs to fix that for the future Rams games. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought Donald Parham was really good yesterday. I was really pleasantly surprised at what he was able to do as a blocker. Um, there were a couple outside zone plays in uh, specifics where he had to go out and set the edge. And I thought he did a wonderful job with those kind of plays. Um, and then he had the one nice, he had the one really nice catch from Chase Daniel he had another short pass from, um, I think, again, from Daniel. And so it definitely seems like he is growing. Gilbert Manzano dubbed him the most improved player on the team uh, earlier today. So I don't know if you guys had anything else on Donald Parham, but I was impressed. I, I, I was very pleased from what I saw from uh, Gigantor. Yeah, I mean, I think he pretty much picked up right where he left off, like kind of at the end of last season. You know, he started kind of gaining that confidence. Like there was that – uh touchdown he had in the Chiefs game where he just like kind of caught it from Herbert and juked back in like that was kind of a nice play um he's just you know for his I I feel like last year there was a lot of like learning how to use his size a little bit 
but I think he's kind of actually getting a little bit better at it now. And I think you've seen that in training camp. Um, I think you've seen that, you know, obviously last night. And so I'm excited to see what he brings. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of Anderson last night. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he was blocking and stuff. Did you guys see a lot from him or? He was on the field, but he did not get targeted. Okay. Yeah, part yeah, is interesting. I, think, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't think he'd be used almost, I wouldn't say equally as Cook, but in the scrimmage. And I'm, I can't I get going back to the scrimmage, but that's the first team, so I'm going to watch it. He was moved around quite a bit outside in the slot, in line tight end. Like I was surprised how often he was going to be used in different spots as a receiving tight end. And McKitty it seemed more like the blocking tight end. He and McKitty was okay last night. But you know, from what I'm seeing from Parham, like he's going to have near equal opportunity with Jared Cook as a receiver. Yeah, uh, I guess I'll add on to that. So, like, I I just wanted to see him be used more in the red zone, especially on that first drive where it was kind of like the starters. Like, you know, they they weren't, like, super efficient in the red zone. They didn't run the ball particularly well. Um, but it was good to see him as, like, like, the tight end one of the group. And like Steven said, he had a couple of nice catches um, in the game. Yeah. Um, Bolt Brett, shout out to Bolt Brett, man. Uh, the uh, Rashawn Slater versus Joey Bosa graphic was was truly an epic day on Twitter. Um, what's your favorite Jerry O'Connell film? To be honest with you, like Kangaroo Jack is really like the heck only yeah, one I, like have seen of his. Um, I have seen Jerry Maguire, but I don't think he, I don't remember him. Um, but I definitely like remember Jerry O'Connell Jack. film. Yeah, 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 exactly. But definitely remember Kangaroo Jack for sure. We're all about that age in this group. I don't think Arjun knows what Kangaroo Jack is, though. Yeah, he might not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all just a little bit older. We'll have to we'll have to watch that one. Um, let's see. All right, so a couple people asking about the backup quarterback battle, which we can get into, and then we'll talk about uh, the unfortunate special teams and some other losers. Um, you know, I saw that Daniel Popper got caught a lot of slack today. Because he said uh, that Easton Stick looked a little discombobulated, I think was his specific phrasing. Uh, if I'm wrong about that, someone please correct me. But uh, basically, he did a stock up, stock down, and he had Chase, uh, he had Easton Stick stock down. Um, so, what did you guys see from the two quarterbacks yesterday? Um, I think all four of us are kind of on board that this is Chase Daniels' job to lose. Um, but what did you guys make of the two quarterbacks yesterday? I was pretty neutral on Easton stick. I didn't really see it as stock up or stock down personally. Um, he, he hit all the throws he was supposed to hit. I think he looked better than he did in the preseason two weeks ago, just in terms of like knowing where he is. There wasn't that pass where it was like, Oh, who was that for? Like that pick he threw in like the saints preseason game, you know, a while back uh, two years ago now. So he definitely looked like he grew a little kind of just as a pastor, a little bit more comfortable, but again, I guess don't think it's enough to compete with Chase Daniel, who's been here, done that with this coaching staff and has that relationship. Um, you know, if they do end up keeping three quarterbacks, I could see it. But again, this goes back to, you know, Tyler's point, which is like, hey, I'd rather keep this, you know, edge rusher over a third quarterback or this interior defensive lineman, right? Um, so, yeah, I don't agree with Popper that it was stock down on Easton Stick. I thought he was fine. You know, I mean, he kind of looked discombobulated because Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton were blocking for him. Um, and, you know, that, that'll cause a lot of stress. And there was another play with Sokol and Norton where they just both got yeah. bull rushed and, you know, pretty much killed him. Um, so that wasn't great. Um, to me, he's still on the cut line, but specifically from this game, 
I I didn't really feel like he was stock up or stock down. I was pretty pretty stock neutral on him. Yeah, uh, go for it, Arjun. Okay, <laughs> my bad. Uh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna list off what I put on Twitter. So Daniel's PFF grade sixty three point five, Sticks grade sixty two point eight. So Daniel was higher. Daniel's EPA right, which is what I, I you know I think we're all in consensus now is like a better way to measure. Uh, quarterback yep. play than like passer rating Daniels was 0.155 and sticks was negative 0.024 now granted stick took the two sacks which definitely hurts your EPA a little bit more but the way I look at it right like Daniels passer rating was like a 70 or something but like he was moving the ball efficiently down the field and like he was taking what the defense was giving him the play calling was super conservative for him like he had like an average time to throw of like 2.3 yeah. um, which is like super quick and like but there were times where I saw, like, you know, it could, it could work. Like, he was he was making checks at the line. Like, I think that one – you know that one pass he made to Tyron, like, where they were in eye formation and he just swung it out to yeah. him? That's like a – I feel like that's just like a check you'd make at the line, right, which is yeah. something, like, Daniel is much better at than Stick. We can all agree on that, especially with his experience. So I thought Daniel had a much better day yesterday. The – you know, the data kind of backs it up also. Um, and – to me, I thought a lot of sticks, you know, completions, he didn't have a single incompletion, but a lot of his stuff were kind of like gimmies or like there was just scheme yeah. open. Like the, sure. the one thing, the one play I think he did really well was the bootleg where he made a really nice throw to Jason Moore, who also had a nice like diving yeah. catch. Yeah. He sold that really well. Like I, I even saw him like I thought he handed it off and then he you know, ran around. But otherwise, like it was just check downs, a lot of short passes. Like it wasn't like anything too impressive. Um, compared to like Daniel, where he kind of like marched the offense down um, and really took what the defense gave him and what the offense, you know, uh, what Joe Lombardi called for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as the stock down stock or comment, like I don't know, I can't imagine you going stock down after performance like that. But yeah. I do yeah. agree with Popper's comment under his article where he said that it's more of a stock down based on every practice that I've watched and right. scrimmage and things like that. In which case, yeah, stick just ha- it hasn't been good. It hasn't been really close to good. It's barely serviceable. And, you know, at the end of the day, if anyone's having any kind of debate about quarterback two still, which you shouldn't be, but if people have asked, so if you're still having that kind of debate, you know, what who helps out Justin Herbert the most here? That's Chase Daniel. Easton Stick, unfortunately, does not offer anything to Justin Herbert outside of, you know, what is it like in North Dakota State? Yeah. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> otherwise Chase Daniel has so much more to offer him. So if you're still worrying about that QB2 battle, like roll with the guy who can give Herbert a boost. Yeah, and I like I'm glad that Daniel Popper clarified that he was kind of taking it from a stance of of mm-hmm. training camp to now because I I think the biggest difference in terms of like the backup spot, I mean, th- there's definitely a, a difference in philosophy for some people in terms of what to do with a backup quarterback, like a lot of people are kind of trying to get away so that they can have a backup quarterback who is, it's is very similar to their starting quarterback. Like, you know, we saw the Buffalo bills sign uh, Mitch Trubisky. Like, uh, you know, I think Mitch Trubisky is not very good, but he is kind of similar to Josh Allen in terms of athleticism, mobility, you know, the uh, Baltimore Ravens with my guy, Tyler Huntley, who is essentially a clone of Lamar Jackson. Like he's very similar in terms of play style athleticism. So Chase Daniel is not similar to Justin Herbert in, in any way. Right. But his command of the offense is very noticeable. 
And even though he's been a career backup, like you can just tell that he's more comfortable back there than Easton Stick was. And I'm glad that Arjun pointed out, you know, his check to, to, to Tyron Johnson. He had a couple checks at the line and he yeah. was able to really notice some things. And yes, the execution should have been better, but on the play that Alex mentioned where uh, Storm Norton and Matt Sokol got you know, kind of lit up, to me, it looked like that was kind of on stick in terms of setting the protections. And, you know, I, I get that it's tough with Nate Gilliam, who was the center. But if you watch that play again, you'll see Sokol's Tyree St. Louis and Storm Norton all look at each other like, hey, I thought you were supposed to be here. Hey, I thought you were supposed to be here. And mm -hmm. so there was just a big miscommunication, which is where the quarterback comes in, in my opinion, of, of being able to set the protection. So I like we're on board of cutting Easton Stick. Like I want that other spot to go to someone more valuable. But I don't think that we can look at yesterday's game as a reason to do that because I thought he played yeah. okay. Like, I really think that he didn't hurt it or really help him. I would like to see him have a little bit more command of the offense, but I don't think he played bad by any means either. For me, it's never really been about, like, you know, who could help Justin Herbert more. Like, I mean, yeah, I do think Chase Daniel is a better mentor, but it's just like, hey – Justin Herbert needs to be out for a quarter and we need someone to take over the game. There's no world in which I'm picking Easton stick over Chase Daniel. Like Chase Daniel is a guy that's played in, you know, 70 games. I don't know exactly how many games he started, but it's, at, I would imagine at least, you know, a season and a half, two seasons worth of games of starts probably. Um, and so, you know, he just has more experience and like ultimately if they're, up in Denver and he needs to protect a lead, you know, of some kind, I just trust him to run the offense more. And he threw some really pretty balls, uh, you know, to the one to Donald Parham and you yeah. know, a couple others. He did overthrow that one to, to Guyton, but that was really like the one big misfire that he had. Other than that, it, it was pretty uh, constant throughout. So I, uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but for me, uh, I, I just didn't think, uh, I didn't really have a problem with how, you know, East Dick did, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, I would prefer Chase Daniel, like, you know, gun yeah. to my head, I have to pick a backup quarterback. Yeah. And it, it really seemed like that first drive, like you could kind of see Chase Daniel coming into a game and playing well and, you know, moving the ball with the first team offense kind of setting. So um, definitely something to keep an eye on for him. Um, all right. Let's talk about this special teams comment uh, because, Someone mentioned earlier if we still have Ryan Smith making the roster or not. I think at this point after yesterday, you have to have Ryan Smith making the roster um, because the punt coverage, man, it was so bad. And Tutu Atwell is very fast. But, uh, man, I, you know, when you have a punter like Ty Long who was really in the zone yesterday, he really had some great balls. But the punt coverage was was awful yesterday. Yeah. I'm just going to throw this out there, random observation. Did the field just look slippery? I feel like a lot of guys were just tripping and slipping on that field yesterday. Uh, yeah, uh, it, like, I honestly thought the same thing. Like, it felt like like on the Atwell and the um, – I, I don't know who the other returner was, but like the person who was supposed to be setting the edge just like fell down. It was like you just gave yeah. him that lane wide, wide open. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was they've been practicing on grass, and then now they're on turf. That could be – uh possible thing but i mean yeah you're right tell like it, it did look bad for for a little bit and like i had my hands in my like in my face after <laughs> even with the holding calls like it was just like it was yeah. just hard to watch 
Yeah, I mean, we were we were just kind of going into this like expecting like, oh, here comes better special teams, and it's not there yet. I mean, to me, this looks yeah. very similar to kind of what we saw last year in terms of you know bad penalties, uh, bad punt coverage, and kickers who can't kick touchbacks. <laughs> like, um, you know, it, it got pretty pretty problematic there for a while. I I really. And, you know, the punt coverage, I just feel like is, again, a personnel thing. If they have Ryan Smith there, um, it, it might have been better. I do think it would have been. But the really concerning thing for me with special teams is, like, those are going to be the guys who are playing special teams, right? Austin Eckler, you know, is not – this is not 2017. He's not going to come back and play Gunner and, and yeah. you know, do, do all that, right? And you're not going to have, like, some of these Chargers who have played special teams in the past do it again, right? So, um you know, and again, it's still four weeks away, really a month away still from the regular season when they kick off. So they have some time to work some things out. Uh, I do still have faith in Darius Winton to get it done. But the amount of like penalties, particularly like how do you delay a game on a kickoff? Like, yeah, twice. And on the, and on the punt. Them. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to yeah, I'm going to point out with that. I think it was the punt with Lachlan Edwards, like where we were pinned yeah. on our own end zone. Yeah, I, I, I actually watched Staley come up, Staley and Swinton try to talk to the ref about it. I think there was some like miscommunication with the play clock. But like I literally saw Staley like like struggle to understand like what was going on because like it didn't like it seemed like the play clock happened like faster than it, it was supposed to. So like the, the punt one, I don't think it should have happened based on like Staley and Swinton's reaction. But like. Yeah. Like, how do you have a delay game on kickoff? Like, that's just like, <laughs> so like, like more yeah. flags like that happened before the play is just like maddening to me, you know? Yeah. yeah and it, it's one of those things where I was just like, you know, I woke up, I checked the box score and it's like, okay, this, you know, Viscaino went, you know, two for two on field goals, Badgley hit an extra point. Like, okay. But like, it was really bad. <laughs> like the kick, I, yeah. I really don't feel like any confidence in this kicker battle. Like Viscaino's probably in the lead but I really have yeah. no confidence in him to really be the guy that, Hey, you need to hit a 45 yard field goal to end the game. I don't think that he's like that guy yet uh, that I really trust. Um, and, you know, one of the advantages to him is like, Hey, he has a bigger leg. His kicks were going about as far as Badgley's last night. Um, and I, I think that yeah. was kind of rough for someone who expected more. Um, so, you know, I, I just hope it gets better. It seems like Alex Kessman is out of the conversation at this point. But it was just really rough the entire game. The punt coverage was bad. Um, you know, some people said the kick coverage was good. You know, that I thought was all right. Um, but yeah, kick returning, punt returning, punt coverage, like all around, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a burn the tape kind of game. I have a question. Do you think it's possible that they that the coaches would ask now again, trying to prevent injuries, this wouldn't be a good thing. But do you think the coaches ask the kickoffs? to go to a point where they can be returned sort of intentionally so you can get those reps? No. <laughs> no. I, I, like, I, no. I don't know, man. I, I think the kickoff coverage was really good. I mean, the hit was. that Darius Bradwell put on uh, whoever was kick returning was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that was had a kickoff tackle as well. Um, I, I guess one of Badgley's kickoffs did land in the end zone, technically. It did. Um, it did. But, yeah, I, I don't – I don't know. Like we might have to seriously have Ty Long be the kickoff guy again, which is just kind of an issue because like you look at their plan for him. Like I I thought that was executed really well. He was able to really focus in on punting and he had a couple bombs, but in terms of, you know, the punt coverage, 
I will give them the 12 man penalty because, you know, the way that he explained it, uh, the way that Brandon Staley explained it, you know, there was just a little miscommunication with Chris Rumpf because, you know, like they are planning on him being on punt team full time, but they wanted someone else to do that yesterday. So I guess I'll give them that. But in terms of like the gunners and making their way down the field, it was a mess. And Ryan Smith, I don't know if he's able to really solve all that. Like I think Keeman Hall, and um, I think Tavon Campbell were the gunners yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I guess in a regular game, it's going to be Ryan Smith and maybe someone else. But, like, get Tyron Johnson down there for all I care. Like, just get the fastest guy on the team yeah. and have him just go run down there and be the gunner. Like, I, if that's Tyron's role, like, so be it. But punt coverage has got to be better. And, like, yeah. I wish I knew a way to say, like – Hey, do this and it'll be better. Like, I don't know enough about <laughs> special teams to do that. Yeah. But it was bad yesterday. Yeah. Uh, two things with that. One, Staley explained the miscommunication better than Anthony Lynn ever did. So that's like a plus. <laughs> there and, you go. Uh, yeah. Lynn would have just <laughs> and, said, that's on me. I got to be better. Yeah. And and two, weirdly enough, I saw Asante Samuel playing Gunner or he was playing. Yes. Yeah. He played Gunner, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. He played for, you know, in the game. Okay. Is Gunner does Gunner go both ways, like on like when you're the punt and the receiving team? Uh, I want to say yes. Okay, because like when, I know when that Chargers, team. like when Chargers were receiving, he or when chart yeah when Chargers were receiving, he was the guy that was like blocking for a couple snaps. So like I'm not sure if you call that the Gunner, but like he was, he was like the outside guy for a couple of reps, and it wasn't just like Kimon Hall and some other corner, um, out there. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm definitely concerned about it, and like I wish I knew the solution, but it seems like we might be looking at like marginal improvement at best, which kind of sucks. Um, but hopefully they're able to kind of you know figure it out. And if Ryan Smith isn't able to stay healthy, then that's going to be a big, big problem. All right, let's talk about some other losers, and we'll wrap this conversation up. Let's um, talk about some losers. There we go. Um, you know, unfortunately, oh, okay. Uh, so my wife just texted me, Corey Lindsley did check in on the NFL top 100 at number 60. So nice. uh, I, I personally was surprised by that. I, I did not think that he would make it when he, I saw freaking Teron Armstead at like 72 and Zach Martin at 85. Um, mm-hmm. but very happy that Corey Lindsley made the, made the list. So um, we're putting Herbert ahead of Lindsley. Yeah. So. Like I said, like I said, it's top 40. Well, he's got to make wow. it there. I don't owe you jack shit yet until he makes that. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna get forty-one. <laughs> yeah, I had hella people in my mentions like talking about like because I didn't. I'd put Lindsley on my like predictions thing, but like he wasn't a Charger last year. Like I couldn't like you know, I I didn't feel comfortable saying like you know he's part. He was part of the Chargers right. last year. Like I would say like if if hypothetically Hunter Henry made the top hundred, I, I would consider him like four Chargers made the list because he played for us last year. Lindsley played for Green Bay. Right, so he's not a charger yet. He is now, uh, but yeah, I'm happy for him. He definitely deserves it. Like I saw, I saw the poem Ryan Kelly in like the '60s. So I was like, Lindsay yeah. has to be oh, <laughs> better yeah. than better than <laughs> Kelly. You know? I just didn't have any confidence because when they did the ESPN survey, oh. um, which isn't players, like it's it's executives. Yeah, but Lindsay was behind Ryan Kelly. Like he was like the 14th. Or 13th, you know, interior offensive lineman. So I know that he deserves to be on this list 100%. um, But I definitely did not have confidence that he were, uh, he was going to do it. So um, just really quick, since we've started, 
they announced Baker Mayfield at 71, Eric Hendricks at 70, Ryan Kelly at 69, um, Josh Jacobs at 68, uh, KJ Wright at 67, who until recently was a free agent, which is kind of funny. Uh, JJ Watt at 66, Calvin Ridley at 65, uh, Demario Davis 64, Fletcher Cox at 63, um, AJ Brown 62, Chase Young at 61, um, and then Corey Lindsay at 60. So that's who where signed we're KJ, at right now. who signed KJ Wright, the uh, Raider agent. The Raiders, no, he's yeah. still a free agent. Oh, still a free agent. I missed that. Oh, oh he's still a free agent. Yeah, he, he right. visited. He visit. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. He actually fits pretty well in defense. I'm not gonna lie. Like he probably play the Sam linebacker, like the strong side, yeah. or he could. I mean, he could potentially replace Littleton on like yeah. nickel packages. But well, it's the, it's the same system that you know. It's the Gus Bradley yeah. Seattle system. So. <laughs> yeah, same, um, same old shit. But I mean, it's, yeah, I I had to laugh yesterday. One of the Raiders reporters was like, "Oh my gosh, a Gus Bradley blitz!" And I was like. I don't miss yeah. that shit, <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, the Lions were a mess in the two-minute offense, which was, oh, man, just do not miss that old stuff at all. All right, let's talk about some losers. Unfortunately, um, you know, if you want to call them, you know, like full-on losers, I'm not going to say that, but uh, maybe stock down if you want. I-, I think we have to start with Joe Reed. Um, yeah. I- unfortunately, I just I-, I don't see a way that he makes the roster at this point. Um, you know, they gave KJ Hill 30 reps yesterday on offense. He, I think he did return a couple kicks. Um, but Jason Moore had 21 reps. Austin Pearl had 10 equal to his. So, and he didn't play a single offensive snap until late in the third quarter. So, uh, unfortunately I just do not see a way for Joe Reed to make this roster, um, which sucks, but you know, I, I think he's the, the biggest loser of the day. Yeah, that one was tough. Um, Okay, I don't know if it's going to lose or stock down. I think it'd be stocked down. I think it potentially is Austin Prohl, just based on that game, because he wasn't working until, you know, with the second team. He wasn't working until mm-hmm. the second half. And then they were running quick screens or slants to, like, Geidner Johnson or whatever, which kind of saps his role that I've seen in, you know, in training camp. So, you know, while he did end up having, like, one punt return and it was, like, short and sweet and, you know, to the point just running down the sideline, you know, I don't know, like KJ Hill went out there first on offense. KJ Hill went out there first on special teams. And maybe that's yep. just how they did it. Coin toss, you two are fighting. You get kind of get the first half. You kind of get the second half. But I was surprised to see not only Pearl not make it into the first half, but also have some plays. Because Daniel's been targeting this guy like crazy. So for them yeah. to pull him in favor of other guys was odd. I, I was actually surprised to see how little he was on the field. Yeah, I, I would say stock down on Prol and Reed in general, uh, and that's kind of unfortunate for both of them. I still think Prol has an okay chance to make the roster, but certainly kind of less likely with how you yeah. know much he was on the field last night. Um, that's sort of one of those training camp. Oh, this guy's doing really well, and then actually he didn't even play. Um, you know, <laughs> so there's a couple of those every year where you know training camp ends up being a little bit of a fugazi. Um, yeah. All right. Craig Smith, uh, who, who who watches the show, he had a really great tweet where he said, uh, I'm sure that Trey <laughs> Pipkins is a great guy. I'm sure that he helps old ladies uh, cross traffic really well. And, you know, he, he just he just does everything. Great Samaritan. He sucks. Like, oh, my God. He was on roller skates the entire game. 
Norton yeah. looked out of sync. I, I would say, like, it has to be Pipkins as the loser just because Norton ended up playing more snaps. But really, my loser yeah. is uh, whoever is behind Brian Balaga. <laughs> and that that is a yeah. concern because of how much Balaga has been injured. I just do not have much confidence uh, at all, like, in anyone to fill in for him. And that was the case last year. Um, yeah, and as Senor says in the chat, you know, Trey Pipkins was getting, like, wrecked, really, by third stringers. Um you know, I didn't have much faith that he would amount to anything this year, kind of especially after last year. Like, he's a project that hasn't panned out. So, like, at this point, uh, I'm not really, like, losing sleep over it. But it, it's just one of those where it's just, like, it's disappointing to still see him like yeah. this and not even really any more developed than he was, you know, his rookie year. Like, he just looks like the same player um, in terms of, you know, what we've seen from him. So... That's unfortunate. Um, yeah, someone points out Trey Pippins does train with Trent Scott. So yeah, oh, no. he had some uh, just, Trent, uh, Trent Scott vibes <laughs> last night for sure. Oh, yeah. No. Just real quick before Arjun jumps in, like I will say that uh, I think Pipkins has improved as a run blocker. Like I, I think he is better as a run blocker. But the thing with Trent Scott is really just like he doesn't have a strong understanding of balance and leverage. And, like, his initial sets are fine. His initial punches are fine. It's when the rusher then does, like, a counterattack or the rusher, you know, the quarterback sets deeper than he thinks or the quarterback is rolling out, you know, one of the ways. Yeah. And it, it's just the adjustment factor. Like, Pipkins doesn't have a way to adjust, and that's the biggest problem because I think, you know, from second one to two, he's fine. It's after that. It's after Easton Stick, you know, is holding the ball a little bit longer. It's after Chase Daniel is holding the ball a little bit longer or whenever there's a stunt or a blitz or something like that. So it's just the adjustment factor for him, which I don't know how that comes to be. Um, I thought Norton was okay, but I, I definitely do not feel great about either one of those being Brian Belaga's backup. And it sucks because it's like you probably have to keep both at this point and try and let them develop enough in practice like throughout the year and then hopefully Balaga is able to kind of stay healthy. It's just, it's not a great situation for them to be in. Um, all right, Arjun, sorry to, to cut you off there, but who was your uh, biggest loser of the day? Yeah. So I'm actually going to give someone not many people talked about, but I like, I was really watching him on the Chargers first defensive series and he actually didn't like impress me at all. And that was Uchenna Nwosu. Um, mm. You know, I thought, you know, with the Rams resting 38 guys and yeah. them having like pretty much their backups or third stringers at tackle, you know, he would generate some pressure. He'd be, um, you know, in the backfield, you know, he had 10 pass rushes, zero pressures. Kyler Fackerel at three in the game. Didn't, mm -hmm. you know, Nuosu didn't necessarily look like he was setting the edge against the run. You know, I, you know, I don't know who's going to be like "quote unquote" starting. I know they're going to be playing an equal amount, but Nuosu and Fakrul, like Fakrul, to me, is, like I, I've said this before, he fits the Joey Bosa mold, and Nuosu, like, and Chris Rumph are like the more skinnier, athletic players, right? So, you know, I was a little bit. It was a little bit concerning to me to see uh, Nuosu like didn't he didn't make that much of an impact, um, and like the Rams quarterbacks were holding onto the ball for like a decent amount of time, like their average. Mm -hmm. Perkins and Hodges, like their average time to throw as, as a whole was was over three seconds. So generally, that should be close to enough time 
to you know get to the quarterback, but Nwosu didn't really do that yesterday. Then actually, like I thought, I didn't think Asante Samuel looked too good. Like I think he got picked on a little bit, and like it was it was the one third down where the guy kind of just ran like a like a it was either like a really short post or just a slant, I guess. But you know, it went for like 12, 13 yards. There was another play. I think him and Rump or him and Adderley had like a miscommunication, and like the guy was just wide open on the sideline. Yeah, and Adderley like, hit got him out of bounds. But like I think that was on Asante's side. So, you know, he didn't look too impressive. The hit on Atwell was really nice to see. Like, he's going to be aggressive in, um, yeah. you know, when tackling. But, you know, two guys that are pegged as starters didn't really produce against the backups for the Rams, which is definitely a little bit concerning. Um, so I think I think Asante is going to get better with with game reps. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, like, if, if you're going to reference PFF for these kind of things, like, PFF has done a good job of, of saying that their coverage grades as a whole isn't the best because they're only grading the, the player when they're targeted, if that makes sense. So like, you know, Asante yeah. Samuel's coverage grade oh, I didn't know that. Is, is pretty much only when he's targeted, right? Like, you know, Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey had like a 70 coverage grade last year, but how, like how many times are you throwing to Jalen Ramsey over the course of a game, over the course of, course of a season, right? Yeah. Like, like I think everyone should have Jalen Ramsey as the best cornerback in the game, any model, any like, that, like ranking should have Jalen Ramsey as the best. Like PFF has even acknowledged that they think Jalen Ramsey is the best, and like just their coverage grading system is going to be going through like some changes hopefully this year. But yeah, so that that was just my little thing on PFF to you know help take some of the the heat off. Uh, but yeah, those are my two guys starters, but didn't yeah. have the best games against backups. Well, that's uh, that's some good info, Arjun, because I definitely did not know that about their grading system. So. Um, dark, as I say, dark, dark Boson 369. Um, uh, Asante Samuel is definitely still cornerback three. Um, I, we, I think we'd all be pretty surprised mm-hmm. if he wasn't at this point. Um, but you definitely want to see these starters who are, are actually playing in these games play a little bit better. Um, I, I definitely was surprised at like the lack of attention that I focused on at Jenna and Wosu. A lot of it was like, oh, Kyler Fackler made a nice play there. Oh, yeah, Rumfrey made a nice play there. So, Definitely not a lot of love for Uchenna and Moses. I think that's a good call. Um, I do want to say in terms of the positives, I, I forgot to mention John Brannon, man. Like yep. this mm. guy, mm-hmm. all he does is intercept the ball. Like literally every day in practice, it seems like, oh, John Brannon made an interception. Oh, John Brannon had a pass breakup. So he's a ball magnet. I'm very excited to see how that progresses. I think him and Keeman Hall are kind of the two guys that I think have the best chance of being that 10th defensive back if they do decide to keep 10. Um, but John Brandon had a great game yesterday as well. All right, guys, any other final thoughts today before we wrap up? Uh, Justin has been announced on the uh, NFL Top 100, so I assume that is coming later on. Um, but, Alex, we'll start with you. Any final thoughts before we wrap up today's show? Alex? Speechless. What, were you, what was the question? Sorry, my, any any my my inter- Oh no, um oh so someone did mention in the chat, uh I think it was Senor that you know like if Pipkins was a sixth or seventh rounder, then like maybe we wouldn't be crushing him so hard. But like yeah. you know that's kind of the th- you know I didn't really like how Norton or Pipkins played yesterday, but Norton is ultimately like an XFL guy who yeah. you know may or may not work out, but it's pretty right. low risk either way so i i think the third round pip, uh, pick on pipkin specifically is uh looking worse each day unfortunately yeah 
Um, no, but other than that, yeah, I, I thought it was overall a pretty good game for the Chargers, all things considered. Um, most important thing, like, you kind of got out with most people healthy. Um, Justin yeah. Jackson did get hurt, which is something we'll have to monitor. But I sort of think Larry Roundtree put Joshua Kelly more so on the hot seat than uh, Justin Jackson, uh, personally. But uh, we'll see uh, kind of what happens. Obviously, they play 49ers next week. Um, I did just want to mention uh, at the end of the show, when it comes to the preseason you know, starters, uh, I totally get Derwin James and Keenan Allen and all those guys not playing. Uh, I don't think they should. And you, know, you want them yeah. healthy for opening day. I will say just because of, um, you know, the fact that it's a new offense and the fact that he's only in his second year, I kind of would have liked to have seen Justin Herbert play a series next week after the joint practice with the 49ers. Um, Not that it's like super important. I still obviously trust Justin Herbert. I think he'll be fine. Um, But that was one of those that kind of caught my attention just in terms of how they viewed the situation. Because like even Philip Rivers would come in and, you know, play a series or play a half sometimes in the preseason, which uh, I don't think he would really do anymore under Brandon Staley. Uh, But, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going out there. Tom Brady's going out there occasionally, uh, you know, just for like one series. Um, That's kind of what I would have liked to seen with Justin Herbert. But I totally get sitting everybody else that was sat. You know, I will say, her, part of my French, Herbert shredded the fuck out of the secondary at the second in the scrimmage. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like, it was easy for him. It was, I was shocked that how good he was at that scrimmage. So, you know, I, I do think that they have enough of a plan for him where it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, because I sort of poo-pooed on Roundtree's parade there, uh, I didn't want to bring up Samuel Jr., but because Arjun did, I'm going to bring it up again. Um, considering that scrimmage as well, he was targeted eight times, gave up five catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. So he was picked on a little bit. And again, there are some, Samuel Jr. is going to be like a 50-50 sort of guy. Where 50% of the time, he's learning. 50% of the time, he's Asante Samuel Jr. And he's, he's knocking the ball down, picking the ball off, all that swagger and everything. But, you know, the last couple of days have been a bit rough for him. But again, I have, I love Asante Samuel Jr. I think he's going to be just fine and grow within this defense. But it is worth noting that he's not perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So my takeaway or final thoughts, like I, I love the way how the backups played and, you know, everyone's competing for, for a spot. Um, I want to, I do want to see if, if Filer, Abushi, Jones, all the guys who should have played, who like, who need the rep, who I think need the reps, um, I want to see if they play next week against the Niners. I don't know what the joint practices are going to look like. And Staley has said constantly that the joint practices and like what they do within their own practices is going to resemble more of like a game feel than the actual like preseason games. So uh, I, I would say like it's it's fun to like look at this game yesterday and kind of make like assumptions off of it, but one good game from a guy like John Brandon could easily turn into like two really bad games to finish yeah. training camp. Yeah. And so, you know, like I wouldn't make too many uh, predictions off of this, but like we, I, I thought we had a, like a lot of healthy discussions today about all the players. And, um, you know, I do, I do want to see some of these starting players, you know, kind of win their matchups next week. And that's kind of what I would be looking for on TV. So like Nwosu and Asante, 
And obviously, if Filer and Abushi play next week, obviously you're going to be watching the line and see how that looks with Slater, Filer, and Abushi um, all in there. Yeah. So uh, Staley did say after the game that he wanted those guys to play, you know, Abushi, Filer, uh, Jones, and Tillery specifically. Um, but he, with the amount of players the Rams were resting, he just didn't feel like it would be advantageous for them, which which I totally understand. Um, I'm hoping that this next game for the Chargers and the Niners is really kind of like the warm-up game. Um, I'm curious to see if that's kind of the trend around the league with, you know, starters playing a lot this week. So I'm um, definitely excited about that. I was just really pleased with the energy, like Arjun said. You know, that's kind of my mm-hmm. biggest takeaway. You know, there are definitely certain like roster spots that we talked about that you can take things away from. But just the way that this team attacked the game yesterday was just different. Like, I think we're so used to, you know, the preseason is kind of meaningless. It's just for reps. It's just for, you know, establishing a little rhythm and chemistry. But this team really went out of their way and said, like, this game matters to us. The energy was fantastic. The effort was mostly great. There were definitely some things that they needed to clean up on the execution side of things. But I was just really happy to watch that kind of game, watch them put that kind of effort forward. Um, as Jorge points out, this preseason game wasn't kind of boring unlike years past. So lots of energy um, there. If you have tickets to the Niners game, I think you should definitely take advantage of going to that game. Um, I am of the belief that I think that's going to be the starter warm-up game for most people. Um, so definitely some some great things there. Um, as always, thank you for tuning in today. This has been a great turnout. Make sure and like and subscribe our, to our videos. Support our partners, Manscaped, Blue Wire Podcasts, and Play Booster, which is our new uh, official sports pick of the Guilty as Charged podcast. That's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Arjun for showing up today. That was a great addition today. Uh, wish you the best of luck at Michigan. <laughs> what is that picture of the silly? <laughs> I was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, so Arjun, best of luck in Michigan, man. Alex, best of luck in medical school. And, uh, you know, we're really excited Whatever about Tyler's this season. And we're, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Peace. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.